New Year's Day AD 49, Agrippina has just become the most powerful woman in the Roman Empire. Through a combination of deft social and political maneuvers, seduction, pure survival skills, Agrippina at age 34 had one marriage to the fourth emperor of the Pax Romana, Claudius, her own uncle. Into the marriage she brought her only son, a 12-year-old boy who would grow up to become the great villain known as Nero. And although Claudius already had a successor in his own son, the eight-year-old Britannicus, he agreed to adopt Agrippina's son Nero as his own, making Nero his heir and older brother to Britannicus. And with this move, Agrippina placed her son Nero firmly in line to become the next emperor. But Britannicus, just a few years younger than Nero, would always be nipping at his older brother's heels. So how did Agrippina complete her plan to make an unrivaled emperor out of Nero? Find out on this episode of the Pops Romana Podcast. Episode 17, Mother Knows Best. Before we begin, I want to let you know that my book, Pax Romana, The Plague That Shook the Roman World, that's Pax, P-O-X, is available for pre-order anywhere books are sold, including Amazon.com and also at the website of the publisher, Princeton University Press. This is a book which chronicles the world's first pandemic, the Antonine Plague, which happened to strike near the very end of the Pax Romana. Now, to what extent did that pandemic affect the historical trajectory of the Pax Romana? Well, that is a bit of a mystery and a controversy. And the book lays out all of the evidence for this pandemic and also brings in some compelling stories from Marcus Aurelius, the emperor, Galen, the physician, and even Marcus Aurelius's nasty son, Commodus. I think by the end of the book, you'll get a good sense of what this pandemic was like, how the population responded, but I think most importantly, you'll get a new history of the last few decades of the Pax Romana and get a glimpse at exactly how this incredible period in human history came to its end. Like I said, it's available for pre-order now and it'll be out in early February of 2024. All right, let's get to this episode of the podcast. Although Nero ended up being a rather ugly and fat-faced emperor, he supposedly was a pretty charming and winsome child. And so Agrippina would parade her son in public whenever she could, showing him off to the Senate and to the masses in Rome, even before she had secured her marriage to Claudius. It seems like she wanted Nero in power from the very beginning and took it upon herself to convince everyone else that Nero was destined to rule Rome one day. In AD 50, Agrippina made a huge step forward in that plan by being named Augusta, or Roman Empress. And in celebration, coinage was minted throughout the Roman Empire. And these coins are pretty remarkable. As I've mentioned before, the details of Roman coins can carry deep meanings and messages for the population. And that's true in this coin, both in what it shows and what it doesn't show. On these coins, for example, the leading figure is Agrippina. And she appears in side profile just like an emperor. And her name is on the coin and also that new imperial title of Augusta. On the other side of the coin, 
You'd expect Claudius as reigning emperor to be there, but he isn't. Instead, it's her son Nero, with his full name including the new name he was given on adoption, which was Nero, and a new title, Princeps Juventutis. And if that sounds kind of like the official title of the emperor, Princeps, you're right. Princeps Juventutis is perhaps best translated as first among the youth. Remember, this was a monarchy that dared not say its name, and that title, first among the youth, was often given by emperors to the boy who was expected to grow up to become the next emperor. The closest thing it signified was something like a crown prince. Now, as I said, absent on the coin was the reigning emperor Claudius. Not in word nor in image does he actually appear. And also, of course, his son Britannicus doesn't show up either. Now, who made this coin and why? Well, it may be that Agrippina demanded that the coins be minted this way, that they just show her and Nero. But I don't think that's what happened. In many cases, coin images were designed at the mint, and there wasn't always central control. So what was going on? Well, the minters just wanted their coin to circulate, and the best way to do that was to use the most authoritative images possible. And ironically, that was not the profile of the emperor himself, of Claudius. The mentor instead drew upon the power that mattered most, the empress Agrippina and her son Nero. What that means also is that no Roman man was on the coin. Agrippina, of course, was a woman, but Nero was technically still a boy. He was under the age of 18. So in a patriarchal culture like Rome, when the senior man in the family was invested with broad and largely unrivaled authority, it was remarkable that Claudius did not show up. And I don't know that this was the intention, but it certainly would have appeared as though Claudius not only didn't rule his empire, he didn't even rule his own household. That, of course, was Agrippina. And she was working now overtime to rush Nero into authority as quickly as possible. You might even call it a coup, but Claudius seemed to participate in his own overthrowing, granting every request that Agrippina made. Did this guy really not figure out what was going on? The acceleration of Nero's position was astounding. So, for example, instead of waiting till age 18 to be declared a man, which would have been normal, it was at age 14 that Nero became a man and was allowed to dress like a man in public. And then a couple of years later, in AD 53, Agrippina got Claudius to give Nero the right to marry the emperor's own daughter, Octavia. This wouldn't be the first incestuous relationship in the imperial household. Agrippina was, of course, Claudius's niece. But if Nero was going to marry Octavia, that would technically be a brother-sister marriage. And surely the Senate would not grant a special dispensation for that, like they had for Claudius and Agrippina's marriage. But Claudius or Agrippina, whoever it was, figured out a way around this. Octavia was booted out of Claudius's family, at least nominally, and adopted into a different family. This made the two no longer legally brother and sister, and then the marriage proceeded. And so when Nero became Octavia's husband, he was just 16 years old. So he was a man, and he was married. He also needed political power. And so the Senate then chose to signal its willingness to support 
the Empress Agrippina and her son by giving Nero a designated consulship that he would take up at age 20. They announced that ahead of time, but also in the meantime, he would be given some very real power. This would be the right to command soldiers and citizens as long as he was outside the boundary of Rome. And this is serious formal power, more power than anybody else held in the Roman Empire, apart, of course, from the Emperor Claudius himself. Now, what about Britannicus, Claudius's natural son? Well, he didn't get any of the kinds of honors that Nero received. And it seems like Agrippina wasn't just content to shove Nero into the spotlight. She had to find ways to demean and belittle Britannicus. For example, she would arrange these public processions in which both Nero and Britannicus would appear together. Now, why would she do this, right? Wouldn't such publicity give honor to Britannicus, even if it also honored Nero? Agrippina was smarter than that, and the senator Tacitus figured out what it was she was doing. Quote, At the games in the circus, put on to win over the favor of the masses, Britannicus rode past in the procession, wearing the boy's toga, and Nero in triumphal dress. The people were supposed to see one in the insignia of a commander and the other in the clothes of a boy, and to anticipate on that basis the future prospects of each. That's Tacitus in his annals. Agrippina wanted the world to see the two sons of Claudius. One, her son Nero, wearing all the trappings of a future emperor and man, while Britannicus followed behind in the garb of a child. So if some unfortunate accident were to happen to Claudius and it became a question as to who would rule next, it seemed the choice would be as easy as picking between a man and a boy. What is painfully clear in all of this is that Agrippina was a woman who understood that every detail mattered. Nothing could be left up to chance. And so despite the fact that she held power so firmly at this point, she still wouldn't hesitate to ruthlessly shut down anything that might disrupt her plans. For example, Messalina's mother had remained close to the imperial family despite the fact that her daughter, Claudius's former wife, had been killed. This woman was Britannicus's grandmother, but she began to spend her time with Nero as well. She'd spoil the boy, and maybe she was trying to win his favor. But Agrippina would have none of that. She gave no quarter to that woman, despite her age, and the fact that Agrippina at this point was pretty much untouchable. And so Agrippina brought a charge against Messalina's mother and Britannicus's grandmother, claiming that this woman had cast spells upon Agrippina and had also failed to keep her slaves in check. And both of these charges are obviously false, but who at this point was going to stand against Agrippina? And so Britannicus's grandmother was executed. Eventually, Britannicus entered adolescence and he began to pick fights with his older brother Nero. It's normal, of course, for boys at that age to do that. And in one of these fights, Britannicus decided to insult Nero by using his old name instead of the name given to him upon adoption, that is, the name Nero. Again, this was definitely an insult, but how bad was it really? Well, again, Agrippina was not going to take any risks. She rushed over to Claudius and starts nagging him about what happened. This is what she says, quote, 
Agrippina claimed Britannicus's use of Nero's old name was the start of internal dissension. The adoption was being disregarded. The vote of the senators and the command of the people repudiated within their home. Unless the evil influence of those inculcating such hostility were checked, she added, it would erupt with disastrous consequences for the state. Disturbed by these veiled charges, Claudius punished all the finest tutors of his son with exile or execution putting his stepmother's appointees in charge of the boy. That's Tacitus in his annals. You might think that Agrippina was being petty and obviously overblowing the situation. Was it really the case that just because Britannicus used the wrong name for Nero, that this meant that the whole state was going to be overthrown? Well, no, of course not. But I don't think Agrippina was flying off the handle here for no reason. I think she did it on purpose. And she actually accomplished something with this maneuver. First, she got Claudius to punish his own son in favor of Agrippina's son, which would, of course, drive a wedge between Claudius and his son, Britannicus. Second, Britannicus's teachers were all replaced with men who Agrippina had chosen. And now at this point, Britannicus would be under the supervision of men loyal to Agrippina. As for Nero, Agrippina put people around him that could protect him and mold him into the next emperor. One of those men was Seneca, who was brought back from exile and placed in charge of Nero's education. He would end up being a crucial advisor for Nero once he became emperor. That is, as long as Nero let him live. Agrippina also convinced Claudius to replace his head of the Praetorian Guard with one of Agrippina's loyal associates. So at this point, by the year AD 54, Agrippina had effectively had Claudius and Britannicus surrounded by people loyal to her and Nero in prime position to take over. It seems to have been around this time that Claudius finally got it through his head that a noose had been hung around his neck with his own participation and it was now slowly tightening. At least one source even claims that the emperor was having second thoughts about his marriage to Agrippina and his adoption of Nero. Quote, Claudius hugged Britannicus close and urged him to grow up and receive from his father an account of all that he had done, adding in Greek, he who dealt the wound will heal it. And when he expressed his intention of giving Britannicus the toga of manhood, Claudius added this, that the Roman people may at last have a genuine Caesar. That's Suetonius's biography of Claudius. Claudius was effectively apologizing to his son and telling him that he was going to make it right, that Britannicus was still his heir and that this was going to be his intention. But Britannicus was barely a teenager still, several years away from becoming a man, and Nero, at age 16, was just two years away and already officially a man anyway. But still, Claudius probably thought he at least had those two years until Nero turned 18 to fix what he had allowed to happen. Agrippina and Nero were firmly entrenched in power, but maybe Claudius could figure out a way to undo some of the things that he had done. Agrippina, of course, had other ideas. And so one October night, the imperial family, Claudius, Agrippina, Nero, and Britannicus, were all dining together. Claudius, fun guy that he was, 
had some mushrooms brought into the room. And as he ate those delectable mushrooms, he found himself becoming ill. He fell down onto the floor. And very soon, the fourth emperor of the Pax Romana was dead. All ancient sources, all of them, claim that Agrippina was in some way behind the death, that she had poisoned Claudius's mushrooms. Our sources are so confident about this because it wasn't just a rumor. It seems to have been an open secret. Nero, in fact, would later claim as a joke to be fond of mushrooms. And the line he'd use is that mushrooms were the food of the gods because it was through mushrooms that his old father, Claudius, had become one. Har, har, har. Poor Claudius. He probably thought he had a little bit of time and he underestimated Agrippina and this cost him his life. And so even while Claudius's corpse was still being covered with blankets, we're told by Tacitus that Agrippina grabbed hold of Britannicus in a bear hug and she started sobbing on the boy, saying how much he looked like his father, so on and so forth. Of course, she was acting, but what was she doing in holding Britannicus there? And indeed, when Britannicus would try to leave, she'd grab him again and start crying. Well, the guards were sealing off the palace and Nero was being whisked away to the camp of the Praetorian Guard. In some ways, it was a repeat of what had happened under Caligula when Claudius was taken to the Praetorian Guard. And when Nero arrived there, he gave a speech, probably one prepared by his advisor Seneca, in which he promised a payment to the Praetorians on the same scale that they had been given under the Emperor Claudius. Around this same time, Agrippina had the blockade removed and word was leaked from the palace. Two things became known at once. Claudius was dead. Nero was emperor. The Senate, of course, had no choice but to ratify the Praetorian selection. We actually have this moment memorialized in a relief that survives in the ruins of the city of Aphrodisius in Asia Minor. In this relief are two individuals. One of them is Nero. He's standing with a spear in military garb, and his face is still that of a teenager. And onto his head, a second figure, a woman, places a laurel wreath. And that woman, of course, is his mother, Agrippina. It's a not-so-subtle hint that the real power behind Nero was actually his mother. And just in case people missed that, Agrippina's figure is actually taller than Nero. Again, a subtle way to show that she was the one who was actually in charge. But Nero would not be a boy forever, and certainly not a mama's boy. Agrippina may have been the most successful and ruthless woman in all of Roman history, but she was not, and could never be, emperor. Nero was. And so despite all she did to get her son there, as we'll see in the coming episodes, Nero soon sought his independence. And the woman who had murdered so many others in her climb to the top found that she had taught her son all too well. In one of history's strange twists, Agrippina would soon find herself the victim of a dynastic murder. Thanks for listening to the Pax Romana podcast. For more information, including a list of primary sources and further reading, check the show notes. Music by Red Productions and Exocore.
Follow Dr. Colin Elliott on X at ProfCPE or email Colin at PaxRomanaPodcast.com. Listen to more episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or just about anywhere podcasts are available. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Pax Romana Podcast.